top bins, top tier commentary. Top drawer, upper 90. You already down. know. You it's more already know. I think that's how it always goes. Like 45 minutes, and we were at like Chelsea. What are we doing? Um, I'm Dominic Ponteri. I am Matt Kessler. And we are here to talk about Champions League soccer today. Hey, it's Top Ben's time. What's up? We're back. Welcome back to Top Bins. My co-host is back. It is not a solo show this week. We are bringing you, as always, all the action from England and Italy. The soccer kind, of course. Dom, you took a, a brief break last week. You had some yes, other sir. responsibilities. How you feeling this week? I'm, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm very good, you know. Uh, yeah, I apologize for, for last week. Um, I had to... Coach a powder puff football game. We ended up losing though, so that's kind of trash. But um, I'm happy to be here. Always happy to be with my best friend and talk a little footy. So, you know, a different let's... kind of football game, we should say as well. Yes, the American sir. kind. <laughs> um, we're gonna get right into. It. We're gonna get right into the Italian kind of football with one of the biggest games of the week, which ended up. I don't want to say disappointing, but perhaps was not as exciting as we would have hoped for in terms of. Equal play, Napoli for Lazio nil. I know you're upset because you really would have appreciated Napoli dropping some points, but it was not to be on the Diego Maradona dedication night. They unveiled a magnificent, magnificent statue of him, uh, and they wore the the kits that they've been wearing a few times this year with his image on them. Uh, it was all about Maradona, and I think very fittingly, they absolutely dominated in the game. Um, this was over at 30 minutes. It was very clear that Napoli were going to be cruising in this game, and I have to imagine that hurt you just a little bit, Dom. Um, yeah, just a little bit. I mean, they also, this is one of the marquee matchups of the weekend in Serie A, but as we all know, Lazio is one of the most inconsistent top six teams in the league. Um and it just happens that they can never show up against a big team, right? This is what the third big team, and I use that quote lightly because Juventus beat them and Juventus is a big team. But um, this is what the third or fourth big team in the league that like they've lost to in the season. So it's, it's like Lazio is the type of team that beats up on the little clubs but can't get it done with, with the bigger clubs and – you know, yeah, it sucks to see Napoli, you know, extend their lead at the top of the table. We'll talk more about that in, in a little bit. But um, it's it's real funny on uh, the, the graphic that I have up, or and you probably have it up too, on who scored. Uh, the match summary talks about the strengths and weaknesses of both teams. And under Lazio, it says team has no significant strengths. Yeah, so. that was, uh, <laughs> that's a tough one. So Lazio this year have... Uh, lost to to Milan in the league. Uh, they beat Roma, 
Uh, they beat Inter, uh, beat Fiorentina, and drew Atalanta, and lost to Juventus, and and yesterday lost to Napoli. So they their this record is, third, is kind of yeah. mixed against the the bigger teams. I had this written down about them. Uh, they were apologizing again. I don't remember which defeat it was exactly, uh, where Immobile uh, apologized after and said that they had to go away to training and be better, um, and that they had to improve. I think it was after Hellas Verona. Uh, it was either after Verona or Bologna that when they lost uh, that he, he said that and sorry said that he questioned the mentality of the team and it felt very much like that again uh, that they we're having this same repeating fashion with Lazio. I think the issue is, is this this starting 11 has been together a few years now and, and kind of unchanged at times and uh, I do wonder if they just need to refresh the squad just a little bit if they're going to have success going forward because now it's it's not about title race anymore with Lazio this season. It's all about top four. But on Napoli's front, I think what's really important here is Dries Mertens was fantastic. Uh, turned into a very vintage Dries Mertens uh, performance. And this is important in a few ways, right? Because he has this shoulder surgery over the summer. So he has kind of a slower start to the season as a result. Uh, Victor Osiman was in such good form that there was no way Mertens was really going to displace him. Uh, but now Osiman is out with these facial fractures. Uh, the timeline is really difficult as well because... The injury itself might only lead him out for about a month, but there's obviously the African Cup of Nations coming up uh, this winter, which could mean that he's out even longer. So Mertens playing well is really important to Napoli. Uh, you know, if he's able to play like this continually, um, and that, that could obviously be a huge strength for them because with OC men out, you're you're depending on Mertens and then Patanya to, <laughs> to carry your hey. Hey, don't don't talk trash on. He has, on, I believe, a goal in fourteen games with Napoli, so not exactly a a sterling <laughs> they, record. For they sub, yeah, he 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 logs a game when they when they sub him in like the eighty eighth minute because they want to give a player a rest and they're already I just up think three there goals. There might be a reason that maybe he's only getting five ten minute. Cameos. Listen, listen, listen. Um, but no, the, the, the point you make about Mertens is huge, right? It just really shows off the depth of Napoli where they could take off players, bring other players on and still, you know, keep up the pressure, keep the pressure up on teams and, and, you know, really go out there and still be a threat in, in, in games like this, you know, um, between the 60th and 70th minute or 73rd minute, they subbed off three players and they were still doing well. You know what I mean? Um, so when when you're able to bring on like guys like Elmas, Malqui, Gulam at the end of games, it really shows that like you can be strong for a majority of the game and still be strong at the end of the game with the substitutions that you're making. So yeah, I mean, hats off to them. It, it's it's crazy. Yeah, Elmas is is a player too that. Obviously, this Napoli midfield is very strong. I think it's hard to to get into. Engisa is also. Uh has an injury as well, got injured the same game that OC Men did, and he's been a, a pretty regular fixture as well. Uh, so I was wondering, you know, if, if we'd see Elmas maybe starting. I think he, he maybe he's like unbalances the midfield just a bit, which is why we don't see him start more. But I think he's a fantastic dribbler. I think he's a very, very good technical player. Um, yeah, Napoli have surprisingly maybe more depth than given credit for. Uh, I think the attacking depth maybe leads something to desire because obviously behind Mertens you have absolutely no one in my opinion Patania, you're not trusting i know politano is is back now from his covid absence so that helps some uh lozano's been good this year and has uh, been uh pretty good so far as well so they do yeah, have I, options 
I think I'm, I mean, you know, that, that, that show of depth is definitely including when OC men is healthy. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm also a, a Patania apologist and a, a, a big stan. So <laughs> you just like the thick calves, I think is really what you're into there. Listen, you're uh, the former Milan player. Napoli uh, outshot eight to two on target. That tells the story of the game. I think uh, Immobile said that they weren't. There was only one team in the game, <laughs> um, and Insigne was really upset because he wasn't able to watch the Maradona statue unveiling on TV. Uh, he said he'd have to settle for watching it later. I hope that he finally got to see it because it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad you're laughing, Dom. As we segue into our next way in game here. Hey, yes. I think the 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 positive spirit is really what we need here. Milan one, Sassuolo three. This was an undoing of, I don't know. This was not an unexpected game. This felt like a very Milan game to to lose. Uh, yeah, it, it hurt. It, this one hurt a little bit for sure. Um, and tell me your thoughts. Let's let you lead off here. Well, I tuned in when it was one one. I woke up a little late, but um, I tuned in at 1-1, and I'll tell you, you know, it, it seemed like they were creating the chances. They were there, and, you know, they couldn't finish. Uh, they were a little lackluster uh, with, with their chances. They didn't take full advantage of them. You know, they were a little too aggressive defensively. Um, it seemed like some fouls were called. I, I'm not trying to make excuses or, or be that typical Milan fan. Well, the refs, you know, uh, there were a few calls that were a little suspect. But, you know, uh, what I will say is that they were way too aggressive. And this does kind of go to show, um, you know, while Benacer was injured, Milan were playing great. And now that Benacer has to step in, uh, due to, you know, some of the other midfield players needing rest and, and you know, the fact that they feel like now Benacer is healthy and he'll only improve the team. Benacer came back and the team is not playing well with him, you know. It shows that, like, the starting two midfielders at the at that double pivot should be Kessie and should be Tonali. And, and when one of them doesn't play, they struggle. When both of them don't play, I mean, Milan, well, I tuned in, Milan has Benacer, and Bakayoko at the double pivot. As soon as I saw that, I was like, this is not going to be a good I, game. I didn't think when Tanali come on, he he played very well. Now, obviously, he comes on when they're chasing the game, and that's obviously a different circumstance to play through. I no. I, I said this uh, about Kessie. Uh, he's a habit of losing the ball in the absolute worst area. Uh, the, the third goal comes with him, again, just trying to dribble out of the back, and I'm not sure what... He, he very frequently puts his back to the final third and dribbles towards his own net or just tries to shield the ball, yeah. you know, 20 yards out from goal. You're talking Kessie, not, right? Yes, and I'm not yeah. sure what the thought process is there. I think when he plays well, I mean, we've seen him play well in the Champions League. It's funny, I feel like most of the Champions League games that I've seen him play for Milan this year, he's played very well, whereas every almost every league game I've seen him play, yeah. I feel like I've seen him make one pretty bad error uh, in each of those games, and and there was one again uh, against Sassuolo. It's not comp. It's it's not, you know, something that we should be confident about. You know, uh, and, and <laughs> it's funny watching on Twitter everybody talk about, oh, this is the nine million euro man, like you know. But aside from that, it always seems like Sassuolo is one of those teams that Milan 
Haskins always struggles with, you know, year after year after year. Uh, Berardi just has a way of always scoring. Um, and, 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 you know, they they have some talent up top. They have some good young talent up top. You know, Skamaka, Raspadori. These are guys that, like, want to go out there and score, you know. Sassuolo isn't the team that's, you know, completely, you know, strong, you know, attack all the way down to defense. But up top, they're pretty top heavy. Again, the whole podcast hosted by Steve McAvoy and John Mavalia. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Get In The Whole Pod and be on the lookout for a ton of great content keeping you up to date on the world of golf. Releasing weekly a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family of podcasts wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Yeah, and, and Sassuolo have done well this season. Yeah, uh, they haven't beaten many of the big sides, but they've been very competitive. It's been a lot of two ones, uh, very close games, uh, and just going back with Milan as well. They they uh, it was two one in, in uh, both fixtures last season. They split the pair, of course. So, yeah, I I do think Sassuolo maybe deserves some some credit for how they played. Sure. I, I do think, especially, like, you bring on DeFrel, right, who's, like, this, I think, a very good, like, option off the bench for a lot of Italian clubs, and that's what ultimately gives uh, the red cards Romagnoli. I have no clue what he's thinking with that challenge. Um, I know I just said DeFrel is a very good sub. He's a good sub. You can let, yeah. you can trust Magnon 1v1 with an attacker and not soil the game right there because you're never going to let your team get back into it uh, if you're down a man and still down a goal. I like I, I just don't know I I hate it's, taking useless red cards I, I think they're it's it's just a dumb way of playing because you're hurting yourself in the game and in the next game as well now we were, really we were not texting available. at that time we were right, texting so. at that time and I was just <laughs> well that, I, I said that's game over uh yeah. Willow's second goal as well I I just the Milan defenders don't react well enough to this at all there's five guys on the front post defending this corner and I'm not sure what the motive is there because there's only i think there's only two sassuolo players really crashing there i it just it was a weird overload and i oh, I that was the second goal yeah the second goal oh i thought you said third never mind no the third was a fantastic berardi solo goal uh he put romagnoli on his on his face. ass on his face <laughs> his face he was literally down on the ground planking dude like uh, uh it, this goes to show that Tamori injury cannot heal soon I, enough. So and, Tamori is apparently uh, back hopefully back for Genoa uh, yeah. at midweek now, which would obviously be huge for Milan. Um, yeah, I, I just think this is this is a tough loss to take. You know, obviously Milan uh, have have some injuries that they're working through. No Rebic, I think, really hurts them in this one as well. This was I think this was, I think it was a Rebic type of game that he could influence on. I will say Ibra is a little too static for my liking. And I wonder if this Milan team is outgrowing their dependency on Ibra, but yet they don't really have that alternative option to go to. Um, they're in a very weird phase right now, I think, with Ibrahimovic, that they're still dependent on him for his ability just to create a goal out of nothing, but yet he's not physically capable enough i think to do really what a striker needs to be doing for a pioli system the way that they're playing this year i think a lot of teams are starting to notice how to play it too that's the thing when he first came back he kind of took the league by storm because a lot of those teams haven't played against ibrahimovic in a very long time a lot of those play a lot of those players never got to play against ibrahimovic when he last played in the league so you know 
it, it, it kind of took the league by storm and now coaches are starting to see like, oh, like you said, doesn't move that much. He's not doing a lot. Let's let the ball find its way to, you know, Salamakers the entire time because, yes, he's got a great work rate and, yes, he offers a lot, you know, going back and forth up and down the field with uh, their pressing and all that kind of stuff, but he's not the most technically gifted. When he's like the player that's moved into the midfield and basically takes over that that uh, central attacking mid role, that number 10, you know, what what is Milan doing now, you know? Um Rafael Leao has, has hit a dip in his form. He seems a little frustrated. He's, he's still, you know, aggressive in attack. He's still looking for those chances. He needs to get one, you know, in, into the back of the net to get his confidence back. But, yeah, like you said about the striker, you take off Ibra, you got an even more static striker coming off the bench. And then if you don't bring in Giroud, you're bringing in a player that's unproven in Syria, well, since he last played there. And since when he last played there, he played with uh, a mid to low table team, you know, uh, in Pellegrini. So he really hasn't hasn't shown anything when he's been given the chances at Milan, and and you know nothing to be confident about if he is the option, right? Um, they still seem to need that striker that's a little more mobile, is going to be you know pressing more because, like you said, Pioli's system is is a is a system where you need all eleven guys to press and and you know, help that double pivot that ends up up the field and, and Teo Hernandez and whoever's at that right back. Calabria's hurt. I don't know why Kalulu didn't play. We've got friggin' Florenzi playing right back. I didn't think Florenzi was that bad in this game. I know Kalulu is the love child of Milan Twitter, but uh, I think Florenzi was actually probably Milan's best player in this game. I I thought Florenzi was very good. I don't very often he's providing service to no one and... I, I I think he was pretty good. I thought Teo Hernandez. This is this has been a really rough season for him. Uh, very frustrated. He was very yeah. lucky not to be sent off as well for dissent. Uh, he was waving his finger in the referee's face. I think I I want to say it was Romagnoli that talked the referee down. I think from really uh from really any further action because he went flying into a challenge and was very aggressive about claiming innocence. He needs to, I, I think he needs maybe some time away from the French national team. I think might yeah. help Teo Hernandez. He seems hey, a little too, know, uh, a little other, too heated this year. The other thing I do want to mention, you know, they brought on junior Messias and there's a couple things he needs to work on his quality just a little bit because, you know, he got that confidence from the game winning goal. He scored in the champions league for Milan. There, you know, there were times he did. He was trying to hold a man off. He tried to do like a fancy back heel pass to keep it going, pass it right out of bounds. You know, uh, he's also it, it, 30, so I'm not sure yeah. that he's going to be <laughs> developing and changing very much. Yeah, you do so, mention, though, the one bright side to Milan season is they're still live in the Champions League. Yeah. It's going to the last day uh, for Milan, Atletico, <laughs> yeah. and Porto somehow. So there's that, right? But uh, let's move on. Let's yeah, move on I, to this y'all one. Y'all better play the U21s. Please. This one sparks joy, doesn't it? <laughs> Juventus nil, Atlanta one. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I have to say I've watched almost every Juventus league game this season, and I don't know why because they're frankly awful games to watch. They're not very enjoyable. Uh, Juventus are devoid of ideas in the final third. And I think that is not necessarily Allegri's fault, although by November, December, you do have to start f- figuring some things out. I do think it's it's definitely, there is a, a talent issue at play here, but um, 
the fact that it very much becomes a give it to Dybala and let's see what happens, and it almost works, <laughs> um, I think is a potential issue for Juventus going forward. Atalanta, this was uh, not vintage Atalanta. This is Atalanta at a, a good defensive back, uh, Musso with some fantastic saves to, to win them all three points, and just a very efficient game. This is not, we're so used to Atalanta being uh, you know high volume, uh, you know, 10, 15 shots a game, really aggressive. And obviously, you know, the goal that they score is, is a very vintage Atalanta goal. They, they very quick on the counter, quick ball through to Zapata. I don't know if you've noticed this. Zapata seems to have finishes like this very frequently where he just absolutely nice blasts it. And somehow he has a habit of hitting the top frame of the net. Like, he hits the top panel. You know, on penalties, they always tell you to aim for the side panels, and there's no way a keeper could ever say it, save it. Zapata has a habit of somehow, <laughs> I think five or Roofing six of his goals, things. he roofs it every year. There's five or six goals where he just absolutely demolishes it. It was a beautiful finish. Um, it's and that's nutty how the this power he changed. gets on his shot, man. It's it was really nutty. spectacular. I mean, he's, he's been one of Serie A's best strikers over the last few years. Oh, sure. um, so yeah, so Atalanta very efficient in this game, which is not typical of them. They, they're typically a team that is just going to create tons and tons of chances and score at least two or three, but... Uh, in this game, it was really just that one clear-cut chance that they do score. And I I, I loved Allegri's quote after the, the game, which I think really sums up uh, Juventus so far this season. Once Juventus are realistic, pressure will drop off. <laughs> I, 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 and I think that's fair, because I think it Juventus is. are in it a is. very different place than we're so used to saying and seeing. Even last year when you have Pirlo coaching, you still had Ronaldo, and there's still an expectation that this team is you know, coming off you know, a title the year before, that they, they should be able to do that again. Champions League should not be out of the question for them. Whereas this year, obviously, you lose Ronaldo, and it's very obvious that there's a, a phasing out of Chiellini and Benucci a little bit more, and there's there has to be an emphasis on like what's next, because we know that those two guys especially are, are, are not kind of be part of the plans you're still very dependent on Juan Cuadrado which is uh, I would say an issue at least for the long-term view um yeah I think once Juventus are realistic I think pressure will drop off a bit I think maybe if they, they allow themselves but I mean there's the pressure obviously of them having to finish in European spots which they're they're out of right now yeah. I mean it, it it's a it's a cause for concern when you're subbing off Chiesa in the 46th injury um yeah uh, but uh, big surprise there, right? One of the guys who, with, with his other teams, he was always consistently injured at some point in the season. So, you know, and it always seems like, it always seems like, you know, where, where was I going with this? You've, oh, Juventus was putting their, their, like you said, there was like Dybala and vibes, like just get it to Dybala and hope. I think they were also putting that uh, kind of pressure on Chiesa to perform, you know, and, and when they when they put all that pressure and now he feels like he needs to get stuff done and then he gets hurt, you know, it, it then they bring on an extra striker in the 64th. They can take off Weston McKinney, who's not had the best of seasons either for Juventus this year. They bring on Keane, um, you know, and they just cannot get it done. Um you know, on top of that, I've been seeing stuff on Twitter. Some people saying that, you know, Pirlo should have been given a, a longer chance to try and like really bring in some, uh, bring in some players and really get his system going. Cause like you said, he's still dealing with the old regime, you know, with his center backs and you're dealing with a personality like Ronaldo in the locker room, you know, 
all or nothing has came out recently and you're starting to see that he didn't have a real good hold in the locker room there. And, and, you know, Allegra's trying to come in and, and put his system in and, 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 you know, change the, change the culture a little bit, bring, maybe bring back some of the stuff of, of the early and like mid 2010 Juventus while he was there winning these titles and all of this stuff. So, you know, they, they got to turn it around and it is cause for concern that they're in like eighth or ninth place right now, you know, dropping and not getting into any type of European competition. Uh, you haven't seen a Juventus like this since the mid to late 2000s. Yeah, I mean, uh, off the it's, back it's of been a very long time. Uh, Calciopoli Part 1, because there's apparently Calciopoli Part 2. Oh, brewing. yeah. A little different. I will say Juventus, this four four two is strange as well, uh, because they don't really have the players to play it. Uh, they've really been forcing, especially the keys in this like very wide position, or sometimes, I, I th- actually think Chiesa would, would perform much better as a second striker, Um but there is there is definitely some personnel issues I th- I think with Juventus. Uh, I got a I got a. Uh, uh, I want to ask you this because uh, I see this in one of the comments from uh, from the live viewers. Um, my guy Sushi said that us talking about Allegri right now. It kind of he's a he's a Barca fan. He says it kind of sounds like Ronald Koeman, and and then he said Allegri, Koeman handshake, <laughs> you know so. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? If, if is that a is that a proper? Uh, I would say if you're analogy? saying for this season, that's maybe fair. I would say that's on the course of their uh, <laughs> managerial career is uh, a big blow to Allegri, uh, considering how good he's been. Uh, Kuman, the far better player, I'll say that. <laughs> uh, I think there is some similarities though in that they're, you know, they're they're both like kind of like. So Barcelona bring Koeman back as a way of, I think, one, pacifying fans a little bit. Because anytime you bring in a former player, typically fans are going to be much more receptive and positive towards that person. And typically as well, a former player is going to be a little bit more receptive and positive towards the board. They're not going to quite... You heard a lot of it about this with Ole and, and Manchester United that... He wasn't going to be pushing for big money transfers. He wasn't going to. Ha- it wasn't going to have to be his way. So I think yeah. there's motivation there, and I think you can say the same of Allegri in that. I think it's almost like a comfort food for Juventus after last year not going the way that they wanted to, and Pirlo was, I mean, a shocking appointment to begin with. I, I can't like it's still hard for me to wrap my head around that he was appointed the coach before he even had his actual professional badges. He hadn't even submitted his thesis yet. Um, it was I do crazy. Think... He got all that stuff, and then you take over Juventus. Like It's yeah, not like I you mean... started out at a lower club, a Serie B club. It's like Juventus. Immediately to the top. Uh, I, I do think there's there's some similarities there. I, I'll just say that I, I think Juventus, I think they're both teams that are in, are in hardcore transition. Um I trust that Juventus will figure this out, though, and that Allegri will fin- fil- like figure this out simply because we've seen him just absolutely dominate the league before it. Obviously, different circumstances. I think Serie A has evolved a little bit, and you have to wonder if Allegri needs to evolve a little bit himself. I know he took this time away, and you're hoping for maybe improvement right off the back of that, but yeah, I... <laughs> I, I think Koeman is just uh, a little bit worse off because he also butted head with the players quite a bit and uh, did not seem to have much favor there. Whereas Allegri still seems very respected and uh, I, I think still has a lot of the, the same like intangibles that we expect of him. I wanted to look at this. So obviously we should mention too, 
there is an investigation right now about Juventus. You know, we, we have to at least mention this because it is big news with Italian uh, soccer at the moment. There is an investigation into Juventus and a few other clubs. I know Napoli are involved in this. Inter Milan are involved in this as well about uh, potential fraud with, uh, you know, the valuations of players. I know the Arthur and Mirlin Pjanic deal is like one of the most scrutinized ones, of course. Uh, Bastoni, I think, is one for Inter Milan that, that people have been harping on as well which shockingly now is actually a pretty fair price for Bastoni. <laughs> um, we don't know what's going to happen with this uh, collusion. If you followed U.S. politics for the last few years, is a very hard thing to prove. Uh, <laughs> you need it in bold red writing that it happened. Um, maybe at most you see like a points reduction for this. Uh, the calls about uh, them being relegated again, I just don't see that <laughs> happening. Uh, I think one, Juventus have learned from past transgressions and mistakes to not record conversations anymore. Uh, keep the incriminating stuff off of uh, voicemail, but yeah, I, I just, I don't know that this is really going much of anywhere. It seems like a very hard thing to prove. Um, it'll be funny for people to make jokes about, but I don't yeah. see this progressing beyond that. Yeah, the only conversations now are that uh, they're being caught, you know, having the front office and Nedved not having confidence in the team when the players have more confidence than the front office in, in beating a team like Barcelona in the Champions League. Well, Agnelli apparently uh, gave a speech at the end of the game um, against Atalanta to the players, and Allegri called it very rousing. I don't know what Agnelli is doing giving speeches to the players. That just seems... You know what that reminds me of? When when uh, Galani used to do it during the banter era at Milan. Just strange. Say it with me, boys. I just... I'm not... I'm not sure what goes on at Juventus at the, like the, the board and executive level because it seems a bit of a mystery. And maybe it's better off than it is. Maybe they shouldn't have had cameras detailing uh, <laughs> their most destructive season. <laughs> There's oh something about the all-or-nothing seasons that just outside of Manchester City in 17-18 that uh, I don't know. Uh, I wanted I wanted to look at this because we're not like quite at the house. halfway point, but we are getting to the point now where you know you have a, a game. You know, it's really awesome if you're a fan, of course, because you have a game pretty much every day now until January to watch, no matter what league you follow, uh, because you have all the leagues start back up in Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and then you have Champions League and the League Cups are back and all that. It's it's a lot of fun. I wanted to look back and just see the table from this time last year and look at you know how teams have progressed a little bit. So in, in Italy last year, Milan were top of the table with 34 points, uh, Inter with 33, Juventus with 27, Roma with 27, Sassuolo with 26, Napoli 25, Atalanta 23, and Lazio 21. Uh, and I just wanted to look at the difference. So Milan are, are two points worse off so far this season. They're at 32 points, which I think, you know, Syria as a whole is, is probably, I think, safe to say maybe a, in some areas a little bit stronger. I'd say the bottom half of the table is probably stronger than it was last year. Inter are, are two points worse off as well with 31 points this year. Juventus are six points worse. They're at, uh, they're at 21 points on this season. Roma are two points worse with 25 points. Sassuolo are eight points worse. They have 18 points this season. Napoli are plus 10. They have 35 points this season. Atalanta are plus five. They're on 28 points. Lazio are exactly the same with 21. And then I wanted to pick two teams from the bottom half. Last year, Fiorentina at this time sitting on 14 points. This mm -hmm. year, 
at 21, a plus seven. I think you're going to uh, thank Dusan Vlahovic for some of that. <laughs> uh, Torino, we're at eight points dead in the water last year. This year, they are on 17, plus nine differential. That is a, is a big, big boost to them. Uh, they did not seem like a team. Let me tell you, it didn't get much better for those eight points afterwards. It wasn't until spring and the flowers arose that Torino came with it because they were they were struggling a bit. But does anything jump out to you there, Dom, in terms of uh, the differences? One jumps out to um, me pretty, well, pretty markedly. Well, well obviously, the, the Napoli plus 10 is crazy uh what place was 21 points for last year like 21 points got you what place at this point that was Lazio in I think they were in eighth or ninth okay well Lazio's in eighth right now with 21 but their sixth through ninth place are tied on 21 points too so you know 21 points can get you into a European playoff spot just about you know you're getting in the conference league right now with 21 um that's one of the big things that, st- that stands out to me. What also stands out is a lot of teams are on minus points to this point last season, yet they're still being competitive at the top of the table. Um, and uh, this only plays to what you said earlier, where I think that the league as a whole has become a little more competitive. Some of the lower and mid-table teams have become a lot more competitive, have, have begun to figure out their systems, like Fiorentina, who is now in a European place, uh, because of how well they've been playing. Um, you know, you've got teams like Bologna with 21 points. That's the, you know, it really, they're, they're, you know, a couple wins and a couple losses from a couple teams above them. And they're in a European spot. You know, you don't see that from a team like Bologna. They normally hover around that 10th to 13th spot. Um, you know, you said Sassuolo's on a minus. Even though they're on the yeah, Sassuolo are eight points worth. I mean, remember, you know, they started out the season last year incredibly strong. They they're, were they were I a really title liked, favorite in well, like October. I really liked their manager last year. Who was that? Deserby or, or or I forget who their who their coach was. Their manager was really really good, and I liked him. I rated him. And then he went to some money to I think a Qatari club or something like that, or I forget where he went. Um, either to Qatar or, or Saudi, like the Saudi Pro League or something like that, but. I feel like if he was to stay with Sassuolo, they'd be even more competitive this year. We all know the traditional big four sports and we have our favorite teams and enjoy them each and every week during their seasons. But what if I told you the fastest growing sport on two feet doesn't involve football, baseball, basketball, or hockey. Come join me, Dom Ponteri, and Harrison Kremens as we break down the sport of the future each and every week on the Outside the Box podcast, talking all things pro and college lacrosse right here on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. Potentially. Uh, I, I think on 10 points under Venezia and Spezia is also a little... I think some of that was fool's gold a little bit with Sassuolo last year. Some really hot form. I, I, You know, you had Jeremy Bogo, of course, last year, like really, really playing well in the first third of the season. I think that's where some of that uh, came from. Um, but I do think it's interesting. For me, Atalanta being plus five uh, is... I mean, they, I think they had a, a strong season last year, and it hasn't felt like they did this year, I think, because they haven't been stringing wins together as much, and we haven't seen quite, like, the big goal-scoring games from them as frequently. We have seen some of it, um, but You've I think maybe... Champions League. 
Yeah, I think just maybe that's messed with our perception a little bit of Atalanta when they've actually probably been a, a better team. And when you consider that they haven't had some of the the usual hooligans at work for them, uh, you know, maybe that's that's better off for them uh, as well <laughs> because, you know, they have to progress forward somehow. Let's move to England, Dom, shall we? To the big one of the weekend. Chelsea won, Manchester United won. My advice would be to this, if you ever want to bet on a game and it's one of these big six games, just bet on 1-1. It feels like, I don't know, out of, out of 12 of these games every year, at least seven of them finish 1-1. I just I think it's the most common scoreline between... These games get so hyped up, uh, and then they are very frequently... Not that this one was the worst one that we've seen. This was not the most dull one. Um, but they very frequently just don't give you what you want for it. Because neither of these teams really want to lose this game. Uh, the stakes are a lot higher when it's two, two bigger teams going at it. Um, I title this one false progress because I feel like United fans and people talking about United are going to look at this as some sort of success, you know, going away to Chelsea. And I mean, with devoid of any context, yes, you could say going away to Stamford Bridge and getting a draw in pretty much every season ever is a good result. Like, that's fine. But I think when you actually watch this game and digest it a little bit, uh, you'll think to yourself, this is the Manchester United that we've seen over the last year and a half where it's like they were very lucky to not lose that game by a massive scoreline and they created absolutely nothing i, I just think it, i think they were awful in this game it's the most fifa in real life box score you'll ever see <laughs> like you know those games where you you're like completely dominating you have a ton of shots on goal and then somehow you still end up tying because they have like one or two chances i mean uh in the comments it says uh Jorginho assists to Sancho. You know, Jorginho still, you know, showing his quality. Hey, uh, uh, that's third place in the Ballon d'Or voting, Jorginho, actually. Hey. So let's put a little respect on uh, third place, third place Jorginho there. That was, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting that they bring that up because that was really United's only true chance of the right. game. They had a few, like, half chances, I would say, throughout most of it. But, yeah, they, they do get away on a, on a breakaway, and Sancho takes it for himself and scores. But that was it. Um, you know, it's Very, still full of errors. It's like still these individual mistakes that I, I don't know. I don't care about we'll, we'll get to Rangnick and all that and, and how he's going to change United going forward. But if Juan Visaka is still just kicking people in the box, uh, if Rashford <laughs> is still flying into challenges when he works back in the defensive third, like that's an issue. Like and it's a, it's a very weird team selection from, from Michael Carrick as well. Um, from Michael Carrick. Yeah, yeah, right. But um, I, you know, I, I'm only assuming that they went with this. I, you're starting McTominay, Matic, and Fred in your midfield. Um, and I'm the only thing that I'm thinking is, well, we're playing Chelsea, and we need to have some sort of major defensive like uh, uh, structure somehow to to hold them off from attacking, and that obviously didn't work. Ronaldo starts on the bench. I don't know. I don't know what what they're deciding to do there. You know, you're playing probably two, because he you're playing wingers up top. Probably because he doesn't press Dom. <laughs> probably because he yeah, does. Well, yeah. And this is going to be an issue with with Ralph and this team going forward. Is listen, Ragnick is a, a really really brilliant mind, but you don't get done on one hand. Everyone is like because everyone read his Wikipedia article, which called him the godfather of Gigan pressing. So naturally, that's what everyone refers to as and says that like, he invented pressing. <laughs> Which is like half true. You don't get to say that about him. And then also say that it's no issue at all 
that not just Ronaldo, but pretty much your entire front three, your most preferred front three, do not press. Yeah. That's – they're going to have to. <laughs> you know, be, if no, he's the godfather gonna, gonna of Gigan sold, pressing, as, we, gonna as we've been led to believe by the Wikipedia article about him, because that's all the research people could be bothered to do about Ralph Ragnick. If that's – if those things are true – it's going to be an issue. And I think you've seen yeah. the very beginning of that already. It's too early. You know, you don't want to get too hot takey. But, um, yeah, I, I thought United were, were pretty outplayed by Chelsea. And Chelsea would be frustrated. They had that one Rudiger chance at the very end, which could have won it for them. But uh, 24 shots to three in favor of Chelsea. Uh, they had double the passes that uh, Manchester United did, which is not the first time we've said that about United this season, which is wholly depressing. Uh, six shots on target compared to two. It's 17 shots inside of United's uh, box. I think the big story was United just throwing themselves. Maybe they had eight blocked shots in this one. Uh, there was more passes completed by Chelsea in the United half than United completed total. 256 to 236 completed passes. That's a rough one, and that is also not the first time we've said that about United this year, which... If I'm being wholly unbiased, kind of sparks joy in my life. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit though about Rangnick and, and and the future of United now because obviously he's been hired as their interim manager, uh, and then there's some sort of consultancy clause on here where he's you know it seems like two years of consultancy um, for those I, I guess unbaptized to Ralph Rangnick and apparently the most brilliant footballing mind of the last 70 years is Ralph Rangnick, allegedly, uh, simply because he got the United job. No one was saying that when he You're was little... uh, involved with Milan this summer, and no one was saying that when he's in Lokomotiv Moscow this summer. Well, what's funny, when, when he was linked with Milan, there were, it was like a, a, a Twitter verse divided, right? You did have your half of Milan Twitter that were saying this, you know? That was the first, listen, I'm not the biggest when it comes to tactics and things like that. I'm not the most well-versed. That was the first time I saw a Gigan press, right? That was the first time I saw it. And people are throwing this keyword out there. Like it's a political, like talking point, man. It's like, oh yeah, but Gigan press, he invented it, this and that. And then the other half is like, we got to stick with Pioli and, and he's got a good system and he's, he's finally going through. So, you know, it, it, it's just really funny, you know, you you get linked with a club like Manchester United, and you're going to hear these things at an exponential level. Dom, I don't know if you what, know this. He's single-handedly responsible <laughs> for up. Thomas Tuchel, Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen Klopp, and Julian Nagelsmann's careers. They would not be where they are today if it was not solely for Ralph Rangnick. You do not understand the power and the 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 aura that this man has. You do not get it, Dom. You just don't get it. Is that good enough? <laughs> okay, so let me you be... You sound like a United Twitter... My honest Twitter opinion... Account. I know. I've, I've gotten very good at it. Have you seen the YouTube videos where it's like we uh, had a bot write a horror movie? Like I could do no. that. Well, I I'm just. Look, I gotta look that. Send that, I, send I that am. To me. I am the bot that just wrote a United tweet. That I I just wrote a uh, Marcialino X. <laughs> With with a picture of black and white Martial Listen, in a in a snood. Um, no my matter. honest opinion of Ragnick is this: I think he's a much better club builder than he is manager. And this is a man who's not managed in a very long time. Last time he managed, funnily enough, was when Schalke got absolutely thumped by United in the Champions League semifinals. It was not competitive at all. Not really his fault. There was a talent disparity there. 
But this is a man who, you know, obviously did a lot of great work at Hoffenheim and Schalke to, to bring them up to a standard. Hoffenheim especially, he brings them up. Uh, he did have, like, good money investment there, which is a, a kind of a, an echo for him throughout his career uh, in the later stages in that he was able to build them up from the third division to the top division. Now they're a mainstay. Now they have a great academy, which he helped build. And Schalke was very similar. And then he goes to the Red Bull institution, and does the same with Salzburg and Leipzig. And then in the last few years was also working on pretty much all of their international teams. He is an impressive, impressive person when it comes to understanding trends and the way the game is moving. Yes. I am not convinced that he is a guy that for the next six months is going to Thomas Tuchel it and come in and, you know, out of 20 games, they're going to have 15 clean sheets and they're going to go on and win the champion. I'm not convinced that he is going to be that impactful. I think this is a much, much better option if you have him on for this consultancy position. He's able to influence how United restructure their club. We know that they're they're thinking of doing that, That, but this is where I got hung up. Ralph Rangnick's one thing. Dom, what would you say is the one thing? I know you said you don't know much about him and this summer is the first time you were introduced, baptized into the Church of Ralph. What is the one thing that is said about him anytime he's involved with a club? What is the one thing people say about Ralph Rangnick? Sometimes we all just need to wind down after a long day of enjoying our favorite sports teams go to work. And with the rise of streaming platforms, new TV shows and movies are popping up every single week. And it might be overwhelming not knowing exactly what to watch. Well, that's where streamer season comes in. The exclusive streaming platform discussion podcast for TV and movies on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. Join me, KB, and a plethora of our hosts right here at USP breaking down all the new TV and movies that you guys should be watching across all the various streaming platforms that are available to the masses. Catch us on streamer season wherever you get your podcasts. Well, aside from like everything you just said, because the the one thing I will give you is is, is the is the team building, right? The, the total control. This is a guy yes, who demands. Actually, yes, you're right. This you're right. is a he guy who everything, demands everything. total control of transfers of organizational structure. Right. I am not convinced that that is. Gonna, I could be wrong. I won't be happy to be wrong. <laughs> I but. The problem with United has been is that they don't want to relinquish any power, any decision-making power to another person other than the people making business decisions. And I really, I have to wonder how that changes with with Rangnick because if you're going to bring him in, I have to assume that you've made him those promises and that he's going to have ultimate control. But that just seems very out of character for this United organization that we've seen over the last decade. That was the same reason that Milan decided not to go with him. Right. Um, you know, I, they, I think that is a, it's a turnoff for lots of teams. Have, yeah. And, you know, it's that no one person is bigger than the club kind of deal. And and what bigger club than United to, you know, have that kind of mindset? You you don't see United do these types of things. I mean, yes. When Sir Alex Ferguson's at the helm, the front office is going to give him what he wants. But that's the kind of guy that brings you results week in, week out, every season. Right. You could that's, argue that Ferguson didn't really get tons and tons of, of support. You know, he got signings and they spent money for sure, but like he largely bit like improved that team himself. 
and was was largely responsible for like the development of of a lot of those players and, and, yeah. and their improvement. Yeah, because you know at the time the United Academy was one of the top you know academies in the world. You know, so I, I, I you you are right about that. Um, I completely forgot about that. He needs total control, everything about. I just I him. have and, and to wonder how that shapes out. And and that's where the you know your your assessment on him is exactly what I would say, right? I was going to bring up, you know, his success with the Red Bull, you know, institution and specifically Leipzig, because this team went from like completely unknown, like not a good team. And next thing you know, they're in Champions League, you know, uh, you know, what they he was did able have, to do with- It's important to contextualize this too, because Red Bull does have a massive resource advantage over mm-hmm. other German. It's it's the reason that they are such a disliked it's club. A very controversial Germany thing. also has the fifty plus one rule, mm-hmm. where there there's no private ownership. They're they're fan owned clubs. Red Bull has skirted around that rule. Uh, I wouldn't even say cleverly because it's really not that clever of a way that they've done this. But the 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 reason that that Leipzig and Salzburg are, are so disliked is because of that, and because they've taken identities of of past clubs, which which frustrates a lot of people. It's not like this guy brought up like these teams from nothing. Like he did have a pretty significant re- resource advantage, and I think that's important to to note when we talk about and and give him praise. I think he deserves praise for what he's done. I think he is a I I do genuinely believe that he's a brilliant mind, and I, and I would love for, for him to 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 give me advice. I would love to talk to him, and I think that he can improve United. But I, I do think it's important to contextualize his achievements when we say that he he built Red Bull. It's like yes. Red Bull. Red Bull gave him <laughs> billions of dollars to work with and an infrastructure to work with that he got to create in an image that worked. And I don't know how many other people would be able to do what he did. But let's also, like, he was playing Minecraft in creative mode. Let's not give him too <laughs> much credit here. Like, let's let's relax. Um, hey, listen, that was the most objective take you, you've, take, you've said in this whole part. You know, Liverpool bias side. That was that was spot on, but you know I, what? I, I agree with you. I do agree with you. I, th- I think it could. I think it's genuinely a much better move than I expected from United. I think it is a smarter decision than what they've been making, which is a positive sign if you're you know interested in United being good going forward. But I do have to wonder, currently as it stands, how this team is going to function going forward because I, I can't imagine this going over super well. Uh, and we'll have to see how they how they improve. Let's get to our, our last England game that we're going to talk more in detail about. Leicester City 4, Watford 2. Uh, I had, for, for this headline, what a snow game should be. Stupid and fun. Uh, we watched <laughs> Manchester City and West Ham play in just awful snowy conditions, and it was one of the worst games I've ever watched in my life. At least the first half was. I couldn't see a damn thing, and nothing fun happened. Um, whereas Leicester and Watford just really leaned into it and were losing possession constantly and scoring goals and shooting. And uh, even the announcers were having to guess at where the ball was because I guess when they decided to make these new high vis winter edition balls, they didn't make them fully orange. Uh, they have these weird patterns on them, which make them still kind of hard to see, which is the whole point of having these winter balls is that they're very easy to see. I don't know who, who made these designs, but they need uh, they have some questions to answer, at least to me. But the snow did impact this game uh, because it was uh, a game of very few passes. Uh, Leicester had a 70% pass completion rate and Watford had a 61%. It was very hard to control the ball in this one, but it did lead to, I think, a little bit of chaos and some mistakes from both teams. 
I thought this was an exciting one to talk about because one, Watford had been low-key a pretty exciting team this year. Obviously, they're, they're fresh off, you know, beating Manchester United 4-1, which I think a lot of people enjoyed, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> Dennis has been has been really good. I know he picked up an injury in this game, but he has a, a fantastic goal that he, he scores against Schmeichel that I wish it wasn't as snowy as it was because if you actually got a clearer view of it, it was a really, really sexy finish. Uh, and Leicester, I think this is the first time that we've really seen a little bit more from them offensively, uh, and I don't think it's such a coincidence that it's with James Madison back in the team uh, for, you know, really, he's only played one 90-minute stretch so far this year. This is one of his longest games. I think he went 87 or 88 minutes in this one, Um, and I thought he played very, very well. Still no Tielemans, obviously, uh, but... I do think having Madison back really gives you a lot of what you lost last week. You know, really no midfield creativity, but now you did. So I think for Leicester, this is this is a, a, a good a good thing for them to, to get a, a really solid win back. And for Watford, I think they just continue being, uh, I, I think, kind of must watch because I feel like every game they're involved in is uh, has a tendency to get a little bit out of hand, a little bit out of control. Yeah, man. I mean, first off, Shouts out to James Madison and Jamie Vardy. The the link up of dreams over ten minutes just kind of taking them out of the taking them, you know, to that spot. It was three one at halftime. So um, you know, uh it's a fun game. You know, two teams that you kinda don't well, you expect this from Leicester, but you don't expect, you know, Watford to kind of keep up with that and, and make it a game. So, you know, it's a fun game. Like you said, not the best conditions, but just a real good spe- spectacle to watch. Yeah, the snow definitely uh, was a hindrance, I think, in this one. Uh, elsewhere in England, uh, it was a, a pretty straightforward weekend. Brentford beat Everton, who are still plagued by injury. Everton on a very long winless streak as they go into the Merseyside Derby this week. Manchester City uh, pretty soundly defeated West Ham 2-1, uh, which was pretty casual. Liverpool beat Southampton 4-0. Arsenal... Uh, 2-0 against Newcastle. Newcastle still without a win this season. Uh, Eddie Howe's got to get those gears turning. Patrick Vieira, Steven Gerrard, two of the best midfielders ever play in the Premier League, faced off as managers. And Stevie G won, just like he does in all midfielder debates between the two. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> uh, certainly no bias in, in what I just said. Uh, and... A very, very boring Brighton and Leeds game ending in nil-nil. Norwich with a clean sheet against Wolves as well. Um, but yeah, you know, Chelsea obviously dropped some points. Manchester City move a little bit closer. Uh, it's it's tightening up a little bit in those front three. And the bottom three is getting intriguing. Burnley obviously don't play this week against Spurs because of uh, the game getting postponed uh, because of the heavy snow. Let's take a look backwards, shall we? You have something to say, Dom. Yeah, before... Uh... Oh, you're going to talk about the the table then and now thing? Yeah, but what do you have to say? Okay. Let's, let's hear it. I want to ask you a question. What did you think of Diogo Jota? Did you hear what, did you hear what uh, he was supposed he, to do he had to, he had to forfeit his uh, FIFA qualifier, right? <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah, so, Diogo Jota is like a very good FIFA player. Like, he, very he, good. He's pro level. Like, to be able to get invited to the qualifiers, you have to be at a, at a high level. Now, granted, game is pay to win. He can... He's got his pro player. Card. Okay, well let's but, let's relax. So he's not able to use that. So, but anyway, he I, he plays the first game and then isn't able to play the second game because he has to go to the stadium to warm up. Ends up going to the stadium and he scores goals. <laughs> I'll just say this: he's the best Portuguese player in the Premier League right now. I think that's fair to say. 
Are you are you going to say I'm wrong? Ronaldo couldn't even get on the field. Yeah, I'm not talking about a Manchester United player. I'm just saying. Bernardo has a... Uh, Bernardo Silva, yeah, that's actually that's way that's way more fair. Bernardo Silva's <laughs> been great this year. What a joy to watch. He's a fantastic player, and you know what I have to say? I can't wait till he fucking leaves. I'm so tired of seeing him play. <laughs> you ever admire a rival player so much? You're like, damn, I can't wait to see the fucking back of you. I, I, I like Atletico Madrid. Please, for the love of Christ, get your get your money up and get Bernardo Silva away. I'm that, tired that, of watching him play. He's so when that good. that rumor of him headed to Milan, you're like, oh, please let this happen. I was because you know that would have been so great for you. You're my friend, and that would have been so nice for you. I'm like, yes, he's gone. <laughs> God, he, you know it's stupid too. He's such a luxury player to City. Like he, he's only getting this because De Bruyne has been out with COVID now. Like it's just, it's and, and Grealish was hurt. And he's oh, such a luxury player to him, and he's like pretty much everyone else's like best midfielder. It's just, it's just gross. There's another Portuguese player. He's also on City. Jao Cancelo has also been good. I, I think it's it's worth noting how good the fullbacks have been for City this year. Kyle Walker has been fantastic. Uh, I feel like lately he's been getting a lot of praise. Almost like a career achievement award uh, for him, and how just how good he's been. And Jock Cancel has definitely taken a step forward this year. I think he's one of the best uh, progressive fullbacks we have, probably in Europe. Not, not even just in the Premier League. No point in limiting him. Um, let's look at last year's table, Don. Let's let's revel a little bit. Uh, last year, at this time, Liverpool were top with 28 points. You remember that? You remember when Liverpool at the top of the table? Fresh off that Van Dyke injury. I think this was right when Gomez got injured. Uh, Matip was still, I think, healthy. <laughs> um, the but the Jets wheels. Blew on the end. Well, it was really January is when it all went wrong. Uh, so 28 points for Liverpool at this time. Last year, United were on 26 in second place. Spurs with 25. Remember that when Spurs were title challengers? Southampton. <laughs> Southampton were on 24 points last year. Leicester, 24 as well. City were on 23. Everton with 23, Chelsea with 22 points. Um, some other notables, Crystal Palace were sitting with 18 points. There's a reason I brought them up. Arsenal were at 14 points at this stage last year. Brighton were on 11. And I thought this was interesting. Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield United were all in the bottom three and all would eventually be relegated. Uh, there really wasn't much movement at all on that front. So let's look at how things have changed. Liverpool, this year, on 28 points. No difference. They are, they are exactly the same as they were this time last year. United are on 18 points this year. That is a minus 8-point differential. Spurs are on 19 points this year. That is a minus 6. Southampton are at 14 points. That is a minus 10-point differential. Obviously, they've, they've lost some talent. Uh, Danny Ings being chief among them. Leicester are on 18 points this, uh, this, uh, this season so far as compared to last year. So that's a minus 6 for them. City are on 29 points. That's a plus 6 from 23 last year. Everton are on 15 points. That's a minus 8. Chelsea are on 30. That's a plus 8 for them. Crystal Palace are on 16 points. That's a minus 2. Arsenal are on 23 points. That's a plus 9 for them. And Brighton are on uh, 18 points. That's a plus 7 for them. One of the reasons I brought Crystal Palace up is because I personally felt like this was a team that could get relegated this year, and I think they've done very well. You know, so much of last season was, you know, they're a very old team, but they're going to get it done, and so much of going into the summer was they were losing so many players. Uh, they didn't get a manager until really late in into the summer as well. Uh, Vieira was not like a an appointment back in May. Like, it, it took them some time, I think, to settle on him, and... 
I'm surprised at how well they've done. I'm surprised that they're really not far off the pace that they were on last year, which ultimately like ended up um, safe from relegation. I think they're well on their way this year. But uh, are there any of those differentials that jump out to you, Dom? The, the arsenal. You know, everything, everything was talked about this year, you know, how, oh, my God, Arsenal this, Arsenal that. Are they going to get relegated? Arsenal is not living up to the standard. They're playing better than they were last year. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal last year, that was, I believe that was even after they had gone on a little bit of a run and they had improved. They were, they were, I think, much worse off, uh, you know, like a month before that. They were in a much worse position. The only reason that, you know, it was so magnified this year was it was the second year in a row that it happened, you know, where they were not doing well at the beginning of the season. Now Arsenal are in a nice run of form. They have four wins in their last five. They're in one loss. I'm seeming to forget the one loss they had. Was it an absolute. (laughs) destruction at Anfield again I can't quite remember listen listen they're they're I think overperforming for where they're at right now you know I don't think that uh, aside from maybe West Ham you know the top four teams they're not gonna play well against them um and and you can even add United and Spurs into that uh though you know Chelsea City Liverpool uh Tottenham United, even West Ham, even Brighton, even Leicester City, you put Arsenal up against most of those guys. They're either going to struggle, you know, and then not do well, or, you know, it, it, it's just surprising, you know, that Arsenal is that high for me right now. Well, we'll find out a little bit about that, Dom, because Arsenal play Manchester United this week. So we'll, we'll get to test your theory very quickly about how they do against the, the traditional big boys. Um, for me, I, I think the one that, that probably jumps out the most is how much better City and especially Chelsea have been. Obviously, Chelsea, there's a managerial change, which is important for a context here that was under Frank Lampard. And obviously, he's he's fired for you know some of that league performance last year. But City, you know, obviously going to win the title last year. I think we forget that they started out pretty poorly last season. Uh, they, they were not a very good team, you know, within the first two months, uh, dropping points pretty pretty uncharacteristic for them. Uh, whereas this year, they've just been fantastic. You saw it again against West Ham, where they just they just choked the life out of teams and are, are playing at a, a much higher level than I think a, a lot of others are. Um, so, yeah, for them to be on, on six points better at this stage, uh, I think is, is, is pretty big for them. Uh, Liverpool being the, the same, I think, is perhaps under the radar uh simply because i i think that so much of the the context about them this year has been how amazing they looked and i think we've forgotten that they were just as good at the beginning of last year when everyone was healthy and this is just a, a continuation of that um i think some of the most indicting stuff is united being eight points worse uh <laughs> spurs being six points worse um, Leicester, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about this season. They're six points worse and that. Obviously, they have the Europa League to worry about. And I think Vardy has lost some of his step. Um, you know, and you're still, like, waiting on, like, Barnes to, I think, uh, kind of get better. And Brighton, though, you know, they were everyone's yes. favorite XG, XG darling last season. They were the, <laughs> you know, the alternative table kings, of course. Uh, they're on plus seven points this year. They, they've improved. They've actually gotten some of those... Uh, those expected goals to come to reality and fruition. Uh, they've played a little bit better defense as well, uh, so it's good to see them. But, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how this this table shakes up. Obviously, like we mentioned earlier, this is when the games are, are, are happening a lot quick, uh, a lot more fast as well. You're having games pretty much every day. Um, 
I know for, for this week, you're going to have tons of midweek games to look forward to. One we already highlighted is Arsenal and Manchester United on the second. Um, and then this weekend, you've got West Ham and Chelsea, which is a lot of fun to look forward to. Um, Aston Villa, Leicester, which I, I think is a, a pretty sneaky good one. Um, you obviously have Liverpool, Everton to look forward to this week in England, which is, uh, we'll see. I mean, it, it's one of those ones where form always goes out the window between those two. Uh, Juventus have a chance to get right Salernitana this week. Let's see, let's see how they they shake it up against uh, <laughs> a bottom team. Uh, Sassuolo have an opportunity to com- continue their run of uh, of scalping uh, against Napoli this week. <laughs> um, we'll see how that goes. Of course, uh, Roma and Inter this weekend with uh, which is a pretty good one in Napoli, Atalanta as well. Uh, I think there's a there's a lot to look forward to there and Juventus Genoa for for mid table bragging rights there right uh, Dom, are we looking are we looking forward to any of those games the milan game the milan uh, game of course um i'm also i'm curious to see how napoli handle that you know uh sassuolo are you know uh sorry i'm typing um sassuolo is in a good run of form like you said so you know, I'm, I'm definitely, ex, you know, excited to see how they handle that. Um, I want to see if Fiorentina can keep up their good run of form against a, a struggling Sampdoria squad. Um, Spezia is no slouch. You know, they could give Inter some issues. Uh, but it's really, you know, that that round of games, match day 15 midweek is, is very, very interesting. You know, you've got a lot of – it looks like – the matchups where you can easily tell the winners, you know, this is like one of those ones like, Hey, I may put a parlay because of this, but then you'll get screwed over by one of the games. Cause there'll be rotation that you're not expecting. Yeah. Uh, this time of year is always fun because you get home from work and there's games on immediately. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's, there's plenty that if you're complaining that there isn't enough to watch, I, I don't know what to tell you because there's mm-hmm. just, there's almost too much at times. You know, I'm going to be watching that Juventus Salernitana game uh, just to see what kind of form they're coming in in midweek because Milan do play them on the weekend. Um, just to, you know, just kind of... The Salerno boys. Listen, listen, this, that is the perfect team, you know, when Milan's in this struggling type of form to get one of their wins that tries to get them out of the relegation zone. You know, that's the team. Let's beat that top table team. But you know the 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 big ones over the weekend. Saturday is a big day. You got Roma, Inter, and Napoli, Atalanta. So those are those are two big games that are are, are definitely worth watching. Um, so those those are de- those are the games that I'm definitely interested come you know for Italy. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. Like I said, the the games you know there's plenty to watch, uh, and we get some Champions League back soon as well. Uh, Liverpool, Milan, which will be a lot of fun. Play the uh, U21s, please. I would love nothing more. Believe me when I say I would absolutely love nothing more than that. Uh, But we'll be looking forward to that. We'll be looking forward to all the games the rest of the week. We'll be back next week to break down what happens. Uh, Dom, any, any parting words? I have two questions for you and and you don't, you don't have to really go too in depth, but just two questions. Okay. Um, One of them is just like a quick one. So did you see that, uh, that graphic that was going around online? Uh, the, the quote from Antonio Conte about like Spurs not really being there or, or, or talking about the weather or, or something like that. And it, it like the way the graphic was made, it looked like it was a friggin' like Christmas, like album cover. It's like Antonio Conte released like a holiday. If you haven't seen it, I have to find it and I'll send it to you on Twitter. 
It's hilarious. Um, the other thing I just want to, I, I, this popped up in my, oh, two things. Um, so number one, uh, congratulations to Lionel Messi on his seventh, you know, Ballon d'Or. That was not that far, not that long ago, a few hours back uh, today. Uh, we're filming this on Monday. Stolen. So, uh, <laughs> Stolen Ballon d'Or. I, I really do think Lewandowski deserves one. never a good look when the winner says uh, you should have won this award last year. And yeah. Yeah. Because he also uh, should have won it this year. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, the other thing is uh, thoughts on Xavi at Barcelona. Pretty good. Uh, I believe he's won every game so far. Uh, well, no, he, he drew Benfica with one of the worst misses I've ever seen from Seferovic. Uh, I'd, I don't know how he doesn't manage to steal this game at the end in the Champions League. That was brutal to watch. That, that um, was rough. I, I I ended up watching that game live just to see a little bit more at Barcelona. I do think, you know, it's it's obviously... There is a theme, of course, that it seems of a lot of ex-players returning as managers, and there's some benefit to that. I do think Xavi's one, though, that is actually, like, has legitimate chance to be very, very good assignment. And I do wonder if... When the draw for the Champions League happens, should Barcelona progress to the next round, by the way, because they have to go to Bayern and win uh, to progress. <laughs> I do think people will, you know, should they progress or, you know, sh should they drop down to Europa League, whatever. I think people will be happy to draw them in December and really regret having to play them in February. I yeah. think they are a team that is going to progress over the course of the season. Obviously, you know, they have some issues up front. Sergio Aguero, of course, being forced into retirement because of health issues, but... Um, you know, I, I do think this is a team that's going to grow as the season goes on. It's very young, especially the midfield is very young and uh, inexperienced. So I do think he's, you know, there's been a lot of like public stuff about the rules You're and PK is not, not allowed to go and do video stuff and Dembele has to show up on time. Yeah, don't shave your face anymore, lad. <laughs> Yeah, um, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I think it's early to tell, but I do think he has the the potential to be a very, very successful manager. I mean, he's one of the best players I've ever seen play in my lifetime, One of the, absolutely one of the best midfielders I've ever seen. So if there was a guy that's going to progress to a, a great managerial career, you have to think that Javi's going to be able to do it. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, PK can't take selfies anymore. That's That's what he can't do. No well, more. no more. I think that's for the best, actually. <laughs> uh, aside from that, yeah, no, that's all. That's all. That's all I really needed to say. Let's uh, United Arsenal on Thursday. Excited about that. You got the Merseyside Derby on Wednesday. I know you're excited for that. Um, yeah, man, big, big, big week of games. Very excited for this. A lot of a lot of league games over this, the midweek. This time of year is the it's best great. if you love the sport because, it's like great. I said, every day there's a game on now. Uh, but until then, until next week, we hope you have a safe one. You hope you have a good one. Uh, enjoy all the games, and we will talk to you next time.